Genesis chapter 11 and 12, if you'll turn there. This is an unusual text for Missions Month. But I think it's a good one. We're going to contrast two different outlooks on the answer to a question that I want to pose out from the beginning. And I want you to think about it. I'm going to try to say the question repeatedly throughout this message tonight because I want it to be burned in your memory. And the question is, who is making a name for you? Who is making a name for you? I have been to graduations and I've heard speakers tell the audience with all the students in it, go out there and make a name for yourself. I'm sure you've probably heard that phrase tossed around a little bit. And then one speaker I said, after he made that, I heard said this, he said, if you don't make a name for yourself, someone else will. In other words, take control of your destiny, take control of your future. You go out there, you do whatever it takes to make a name for yourself. Um, who is making a name for you? You are. That's what the world wants you to think. You are making a name for yourself. You do you. That's a big phrase nowadays. You don't need anyone else. You go out there and make yourself great. In fact, I looked up the phrase, make a name for yourself. Wikipedia says that it is a secular idiom which is synonymous with achieving fame, making yourself distinct, or becoming well-known. And a lot of people do it in a lot of different ways. If you watched any of the Olympics this past summer, you'll know that people are out to make a name for themselves in Olympic history uh, by getting medals, and particularly the gold medal. And the more gold medals you get and the more repeated wins that you have, see, you're making a name for yourself. And, you know, uh, Mike Phelps and uh, uh, Michael Phelps, and all the, he's made a name for himself in Olympic history, and so have a number of others. Making a name for yourself as a singer, I would think that a lot of people who try out for American Idol or one of those type shows, they want to do that. They think that they're an undiscovered talent and, and they want to be on TV because, see, they can make a name for themselves and people will know them and see what they can do. Make a name for yourself in finances or all kinds of other things because they're out there trying to make, as it were, a name for themselves. And truthfully, when you think about the phrase, it's not inherently wrong to have a great name unless... You're making a name for yourself in defiance of God. And that's exactly what is happening in Genesis 11. You know the story. It's the Tower of Babel. And the word Babel means confusion. And God's going to confuse the languages. But there was a lot of confusion going on before the languages were confused. And they were seeking a lot of things. They wanted to make, and actually the phrases in the text, they want to make a name for themselves. Let me read it for you. Now the earth... Verse 1, had one language and the same words, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, Come and let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And here's our phrase, And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of of the whole earth. When Noah got off the ark in chapter 9, God repeated the mandate that he gave Adam and Eve because basically we're starting over as humanity and he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That was Noah's job. So between chapter 9 and 11, we start getting genealogies of Noah's three sons. And we have one from Ham and we're going to get one from Seth. 
But these are all the people that have come down. And what we found from Ham's lineage is that they were makers of, they were more like uh, makers of cities and, and, and architect and all that sort of thing. And they're the people that come from his lineage and they're building Babel. And they have a goal. The goal is not to fill the earth like God says. And in the text, you'll see it there. It's built in once in verse 4. It says, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. Now, God said, scatter yourselves, fill the earth. The, this group of people says, we don't want to do that. And the key word here in contrast to scatter is in verse 2. And they found a place, and the, and the word means plain or a flat piece of land. And they wanted to build a city in Shinar, which is Babylon. And it says they settled there. See, that's not what God directed them to do. They were to fill the earth and keep spreading out. But they said, no, we want to settle in one place. And, so, and, and here's why. They don't want, verse 4, they don't want to be dispersed. In fact, you can see it again, that same phrase in verse 8, where God comes down eventually and he makes them do what he wanted them to do and he disperses them. So the actual opposite of what they want happens. But the reality is making a name for yourself is in direct opposition to what God wants them to do. And that's why, if you could see how it's framed together, the text is put together with these three phrases that start identically. In verses 3 and 4, underline it in your Bible, if we do a little Bible study here, it says, come let us. See, the people, humanity is going to say this two times. Come let us build, and they tell you what they build with, and it says, come let us make a name for ourselves. Now, God's going to answer those two sentences with his own similar phrase because in verse 7 God's going to say come let us go down see he's going to answer that and why does God have to come down watch because they say let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens there are discoveries actually fairly recently in archaeology in that area of the world where they found what is called a ziggurat. I don't know if you know what it is. It's called a step pyramid, and it goes like this. The sides come like this, and as you go higher, it keeps going like this until you get one little square at the top. And at the top of the ziggurat, which was a more smaller scale pyramid, is where man would meet with the god, little g. So they built this ziggurat, and they were going to go up to the top of it, and they were going to meet with God, except they didn't want the god of the Bible they were going to meet, I think that they wanted to say by building this ziggurat and making the top go to the heavens that they wanted to be God. They wanted to take over his position. In fact, the only time the to top to the heavens is used is later in Genesis chapter 28 where it was talking about Jacob's ladder. Uh, and Jacob had a dream and a ladder went to heaven. Now, now here's the thing. Jacob's ladder is coming from down from heaven to earth, but the tower goes from earth to heaven. See, because that's the direction God says that when I'm in charge, I come down to where you are. You cannot try to reach up to where I am. Because when you do that, that is a sign of rebellious pride. And so they build this city and they build this tower in rebellion to God. They want to be God. They don't want to, they don't want to be scattered abroad. They want to settle down. They want to do their own thing. They're rebelling against God. They're the architect. They're going to build their own city. They're going to build their own tower. They're going to be their own God, and they're going to live where they want to live. That's what the Tower of Babel is all about. And so they say, let us make a name for ourselves. We want to be well-known. We want to be distinct from everybody else 
because we run the show. We don't do things God's way. We do them ours way, our way. Now, I think to fill you in a little bit more, let it, let's make a name for ourselves. When you name something in the Old Testament, it is a, it is a matter of authority. So when you name something, you have the ability to name it. You are the one who's in charge or in control or in authority over it. So basically, naming something is a superior naming something that's inferior as far as authority goes. So God says, let there be light. And he names the sun and the moon and the stars. He calls light, light, and, and darkness, darkness. He calls night and all those things. So God names them. Why? Because he's superior Adam names the animals. God doesn't name them. He brings the animals to Adam, and Adam called them and named them whatever he wanted to, Genesis 2.20. Even God brings and makes the woman out of his side, and he says, she shall be called woman. Ish, in Hebrew, ish is man. Isha is woman. Even the word comes out of the word, and he names her. Why? Because God had made him the head. And he had authority in that relationship. Later on, after the sinful fall, and they take the forbidden fruit, and they're going to be taken, put out of the garden, he says that Adam calls the woman Eve. He gives her a particular name, the mother of all living. Adam names Seth. Lamech names Noah. God takes Abram's name and calls him Abraham because Abraham belongs to him. Now, Sarai becomes Sarah. God tells them, name Ishmael this. Name Isaac, God last. Name him that. Why? When God says, this is what your name is, or someone says, this is what your name is, it is a matter of authority. So we come to our text. What's happening? We're going to make a name for ourselves. See, we're not going to let God name us. We're not going to let God have the authority. We are going to have it. We don't need God to be the superior. We can be the superior. And so they show that and demonstrate it, not by putting their hand in God's face overtly, but building a tower that shows God, we can reach up to where you are. See, they don't do it overtly. They do it covertly. They do it in a subjective way. Not high-handed, but it's still true. They still do it. See, that's the insidious part of it. That's what we need to be aware of. In danger. See, they build a city and a tower to the top. So we build our families and careers so we can go to the top. God told them scatter, and they settled. God tells us to go into all the world and take the gospel, but we stay in Hamilton and we don't go anywhere and don't take the gospel at times. See, they think that they can approach God on their own terms, that they can live out their life and make their choices on their own wisdom. But see, we often do the same. I call them self-namers. See, the people of Babel were self-namers. They wanted to name themselves because they wanted to have the authority. They wanted to call the shots. But what they ought to have been is God-namers. Let God name them. See, that happens even amongst God's people, where we acknowledge God and we say that we're God-namers, but the reality is, young people especially, I'm going to date who I want to date, and I'm going to marry who I want to marry, even if that person's not a believer. But we know what God says about unequally yoked, but yet we still do. You know why? Because we want to do what we want to do. We're self-namers. See, we know what God says about raising your kids. We know what priorities and values we ought to have. We know what he says about giving our money and spending it and what we should demonstrate by it and communicate. But we know what matters most. But yet, it seems to be in our lives that although we know all these things, because we're self-namers, we become self-autonomous. 
We become independent. We want to do our own thing. But it's not always over. It's not say, hey, God, I don't care what you say. We don't ever say those sort of things. See, we just live them out. We have a different philosophy and a mindset. We have a certain thinking at church, but when we're at our jobs or with our friends or at the schools that we attend, we're self-namers. So the people say, come let us, come let us. But then it says, God says to the council chamber, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and all the angels that are in there, he says, come let us, we're going to go down and we're going to take a look at it. Now that is a very strong point in our text. God often says when he is going to bring judgment that he is going to go down and look. Not because he actually can't see from where he is, but it's an anthropomorphism. That's a huge word. All that means is God uses human terms so that you and I can grasp it. And here's what God says in Genesis 18, 21. Let us go down to see Sodom and Gomorrah and all that's going on there. And why was he going down to see it? Because he was going to judge it. See, God is coming down and he's going to take a look at Babel. He's going to see all the people speaking the same language and they're they're building a unity, but not a good unity. It's a unity that is going to be in defiance of God. They're going to do their own thing. They're going to thwart, they think they're going to thwart God's purposes. But the Lord comes down and the Bible says he comes down to see. It is a moving thing, is it not? It's a moving thing to know that God sees us. He sees all of our strivings for independence. He sees all the ways that we try to avoid God's authority and do things our own way and how we justify it. God sees the city and God sees the tower and God sees most of all their hearts. And what the Bible does in this text from that verse on out is it says the Lord's name over and over. In verse 5, and the Lord came down to see. Verse 6, and the Lord said. Verse 8, so the Lord dispersed them. Verse 9, twice, the Lord confused the language. The Lord dispersed them. You know what? Because he wants them to know this. Build all the towers you want. Build the cities you want. Make a name for yourself. But I want you to know none of those things will ever make you superior to my authority in your life. And God says, I'm going to reverse everything that you think that you can control. And so he does. And in one, chapter 11 and verse 4, they refused to scatter. And so in verse 8, it says he scattered them. See, he reverses everything. Now, I want to tell you the Great Commission part of it a little bit is this. God confuses all of their languages because of their disobedience. But God takes the curse, as it were, that he puts on Babel and its people, and he reverses it. And you know where he does reverse it? And it's Acts 2 at Pentecost, where all the people from all over the world are there in all the different languages, and God gives through the Holy Spirit the gift of tongues. And you know what tongues did? They were able to speak the gospel in every language that everyone had there, whether you spoke that language or not. Now today, there's a perversion in the charismatic movement of what tongues really is, and that's speaking some angelic language or something they make up to sound spiritual. But tongues were the ability given by God immediately through the Holy Spirit to speak a foreign language that you otherwise beforehand could not speak. And the purpose of it was not so you could have some spiritual ecstatic experience of your own, for the sake of communicating the gospel to someone in that language group. That's what tongues were for. 
And God says, see, I confused the languages at Babel, but in the power of the Holy Spirit and in Jesus Christ, I reverse all of that, and now I'm giving people through the Spirit the ability to speak all those languages so they can hear the gospel. Why? Because they refused to fill the earth back in that day, and now my disciples are going to fill the earth in another way. They're going to be fruitful and multiplying by reaching people with the gospel. But see, you miss out on all of that if you're a self-namer. Because self-namers are people who live out self-stories. And self-stories are completely antithetical to who God is and to what he's trying to accomplish in the world. So let me say it a second time. Who is making a name for you? And the text makes it obvious, isn't it? It jumped off the page to me. Is Babel, Tower of Babel or Babylon or the world, are they telling you what your name is? Or is God? Because, see, there's another choice to be had. We don't have to let Babel tell us who we are and what our name is. So God goes from the big picture of humanity, who are all in rebellion against God, seeking a name for themselves, to one little isolated person in the very next chapter. These two stories of being named or choosing a name for yourself are only separated by a genealogy. And you know the story, very familiar, in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It's the calling of Abraham. And some theologians have even called it Abraham's Great Commission. Because it starts with this, that God tells him to go. See, God told the other people to scatter, and they wouldn't. They settled. They stayed. Abraham, God has said, you need to go. Now, watch the contrast. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go, go from your country. The other people are not willing to scatter. I want you to. Go to your country, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you. Listen to this, underline it. And I will make your name great. See, see what Moses is saying in his writing? You have a choice. See, Babel says, I can make my own name great. But God says, Abraham, you obey what I said. See, disobedience marks self-namers. Self-namers are marked by disobedient to God's word and his plans. But God-namers, like Abraham, people who let God name them, let God identify, tell them what their identity, let God tell them who they are. See, those people are obedient to what God says. So God says, Abraham, if you obey me, I will make your name great. We have choice to make. Make our own name great, or let God make our name great. Hold your finger here, and I want to show you a couple other references. 2 Samuel chapter 7. In fact, before you go to 2 Samuel 7, turn to Isaiah 63. Three kind of uh, obscure texts that you probably don't know, aren't familiar with, but I want to show you a truth. Babylon says, make your own name great. God says, I'll make your name great. But you know, in the Bible, there's only one person, one person who is allowed to make their own name great. Only one. Isaiah 63. Isaiah 63, in verse 12 and 14, it reads, Who caused his glorious arm 
to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name. You see that? Underline that. God is the only person who's allowed to make his own name great. Verse 14, livestock that go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led your people. Why did he do it? To make for yourself a glorious name. Are you getting the idea? If you make your name great, you're trying to do it. You know what that is in reality? You're trying to do what only God can do for himself. You are trying to usurp his authority. You're trying to put yourself over him. You are trying to be God. Jeremiah 32 and verse 20. If you'll turn there. Jeremiah 32 and verse 20. You have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. And to this day in Israel and among all mankind and have made a name for yourself as it is this day. Nehemiah, lastly, Nehemiah 9 and verse 10. Verse 9, And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard the cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all of his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers and you have made a name for yourself. Over and over in the scriptures, here's what only God makes a name for himself. And that's what was going on at Babel. They were seeking to make a name. They were seeking to be independent. They were their own authority. See, people have done that from the very beginning. But only God can really make a name for himself. Second Samuel, that chapter I mentioned before, would you turn there? I want to show you, before we're done tonight, just a couple other examples of what this looks like. Second Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 and 9. Abraham obeys God. Now let me tell you again, let me say it again. Self-namers are marked by disobedience to God's word and his plans. God-namers are marked by obedience God tells Abraham, get up and go to a land, and I'll tell you on the way where to go. He does it. The Bible says he gets up and he leaves. So Abraham is a God-namer. God says, I'll make your name great. He says, I'm on it, and he obeys. David is the king of Israel, and God comes to him. about David wants to build God a temple. And in that context, verse 8 reads, of 2 Samuel 7. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the armies, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people of Israel. You were a shepherd of sheep, and now I made you a shepherd of my people. And I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut, up, cut off all your enemies from before you. Again, underline this. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. See, David as the king said, you know what all the other kings do of all the other nations? They are out to win wars, fight battles, accumulate wealth, do all that they do. And the reason is to make a name for themselves. And God comes to David and says, listen, I brought you this far, but at this point in your life, see, I brought you, but it's time for you to make the final decision. You know what it is? Will you make your name great or you will let me do it? 
See, you're going to have to let me make your name, and I'll make your name great. But see, David had to be marked by obedience. Will he keep God's covenants? And God says, if you obey me, I'll make your name great. Philippians chapter 2. If you'll turn there. Abraham obeys and God makes his name great. David obeys God and God makes, makes his name great. Jesus obeys and God makes his name great. Philippians 2.5 says, Let this mind be in you, have this mind which is in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Remember? God-namers are obedient. He but emptied himself in contrast by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even, in other words, how far would he take this? How far would he go with this making God have his name great? Well, he would take it all the way to dying even shamefully. And when he says humility or humbled himself, to be crucified naked in public on a cross was about as bad as it gets. That's how far he would take it. See, can I say off front, listen, when we make the choices in life and we teach our teenagers and our young people to make choices in life about whether they're going to try to go out from here and they're going to go to college and they're going to get a career, and see, they're gonna, you can make a choice. Am I going to go out here and the whole goal of all that I do in my education, my career, is to make my name great, make a name for myself, or I could change and say, no, God, see, here's my view. I, I'm okay. I want to just obey you. That's my number one priority and I want you to make a name for me whatever that name is whatever it means and here's what it means watch the life of Abraham watch the life of David more so watch the life of Jesus and when you have made the decision that I'm not making a name for myself I'm not a self name or I'm a God name or can I tell you this it will not always go well being marked by obedience does not exclude crosses it does not exclude humiliation and suffering and indignities. That's not what it means. So we get in our mind, and I think this is why we prefer to be self-namers, because we think that by doing so, we can avoid all of the things that go with being a God-namer, unpopular at school, not loved and liked by everybody. People disagree and they get upset with you. See, and all the other things that go with it, see? But Jesus was obedient, and he wanted us to show us that when you choose to be a God-namer, how far should you take it? Well, the obedience went even to a cross death. A cross death. See, if anyone, in my estimation at least, deserved to be a, a self-namer, it was Jesus. I mean, he was sinless, was he not? He was God, very God. I mean, he should have been able to give him his own self a name. He should have had a great name. In fact, wasn't that basically one of the temptations of the devil? 
I'll give you all the king. I'll make a name for you. You let me make a name for you. Let me do it my way. I'll give it to you. And you know, you can avoid all the suffering and all the cross. You don't have to be out here in the wilderness. You don't have to be wondering where your water and bread are coming from. And everybody will love you. Just let me tell you what your name is. Let me tell you who you are. And we can fall prey to it, can't we? To be a God namer. Now in the text, interestingly enough, Jesus said, I'll take it to the point of death. That same little phrase, mekrithanatu, is used only one other time in the whole Bible, and it's in this text. Chapter 2 and verse 30 says, see, obedience to a point of death because you're letting Jesus make your name great, it's not just something for Jesus who is God, but for all of us. And the example given is that of Epaphroditus. And the last verse of the same chapter in Philippians 2, here's how it reads. For he nearly died. It's the exact same phrase that Jesus had earlier in the text, which says, to the point of death. On the edge of, say, Jesus actually did die. Epaphroditus was to the point of death. And see, see, Epaphroditus was a guy who said, I'm not going to have, I'm not going to name myself. I'm going to let Jesus name me. And I'm going to be a servant. And I'm going to work and labor for him. And we would never have known who he was or ever even knew his name if it wasn't for Paul putting him in here. And what do we know about him is that he cared for his church. He was so devoted to it. And he loved his people so much that he nearly died for it. See, it wasn't success. It wasn't marked by everything the world says marks great names. Epaphroditus isn't a household name for all the accolades and things that he thinks that you know, we should give him. He's not known in the world for anything. He's only known to us in the scriptures. Why? Because he said, God, you make my name great. I'm going to be known for, the main thing I'm going to be known for is my love for you and for your people. That's let, letting God make a name for you he says. And it says in verse 9 that when Jesus obeyed to that extent, here's what it says, therefore, based on it, verse 10, Philippians, God has exalted him, bestowed on him, here it is, the name which is above every name. Nobody got an awesome name from God more than Jesus because no one obeyed better than Jesus. To the degree he obeyed and who he was and what he did is to the degree in which he got the name. He has a name which is above all names. That that name, every knee will bow. All the people someday who were self-namers, who were out making a name for themselves, will bow the knee to the name, the name of Jesus. And you might say, that's all well and good, Pastor Walker. I don't want to be a self-namer. I want to be a God-namer. But listen, I'm not Abraham, and I'm not David, and there's certainty that I'm not Jesus. Do you know that this is what God has for all of us who are Christians? Lastly, would you turn to Revelation chapter 3? This is a church, a letter to a church. And in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 12, It reads this, the one who conquers. So let me tell you this. You want to let Jesus be the one who names you? You're in for a battle. You're, in for a, you're going to have to conquer. You're going to have to fight. You're going to have to live out the victory. It isn't going to be easy. 
but the one who conquers, one who obeys to the point of victory, even if it involves death, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out, and I, watch this, and I will write on him the name of my God. I'll give you a name, and I'm going to put it on your forehead. If you read Revelation very carefully, there are two choices when it comes to having someone's name in your forehead. If you follow the Antichrist, you get 666 right here in your forehead because to have something on your forehead, the Hindus practice this a little bit with the dot thing, but if you have something in your forehead, it's a sign that you are someone owns or controls you. So if you have 666 here, you are controlled by Antichrist, but Jesus says, I'll put my name here in contrast to following the Antichrist. If you follow the Lamb, see, that'll prove it. I'll put my name there. I'll give you my, not just a name, I'll give you my name, he says. But he's not done. Remember the city? I'm going to build a city and a tower and make a name for myself. That's what difference between humanity and the patriarchs. And Hebrews records it in chapter 11 that Abraham was looking what? For a city whose builder and maker was God. They were making their own city. Abraham looked for another one. You know why? Because he was a God-namer. He was. God says, in result of that, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and triple namer. You get to be a triple, and my own name. So he gives you the name of God, he puts the name of his city on you, and he gives you his own name. See, that's far better than anything the world has to offer. That's way better than anything Babylon could hold out to you tonight. And although... When you are a self-namer, it looks so much better, more enjoyable, more pleasure, more success, and all the things that in the trappings of this world has to offer, I can tell you, in the immediate and in the long run, it is far better, and we should teach ourselves and our children to be a God-namer. God, you, you make a name for me. You make a name for me. You tell me who I am and what matters most in this life. See, that's what the, see, they wanted to stay where they were. And God says, the only way you could really be a part of the Great Commission, when you put the mission first, is if you live out the name that I gave you. And that's what Revelation is filled with. People who loved God, it says, more than their very lives itself. That only can happen when you make the decision that you've been confronted with tonight. Will I be a self-namer or a God-namer? And only when you're a God-namer can you live out the name that matters most. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text tonight. We have a choice. Will we be like Babel or will we be like Abraham? Will we make a name for ourselves or will we let you give us a name? Oh Lord, I look forward to the day as conquerors through the victory of Jesus that will stand before you and your name will be on our forehead. The name of our God, the name of our city, and the name of our Savior. Father, that's the best way to go. That's the best choice by far. Letting you tell us who we are. Letting you give us the name that we have in life. Lord, help us as we go through Missions Month, as we go to work tomorrow, 
as we have opportunities to witness for you. Oh Lord, at work or wherever we might be, see, if we're making a name for ourselves, those things won't be really looked upon very well and we'll shy away from them because it might hurt our opportunities. But Father, if we let you name us, we let you tell us who we are, things could be radically different. And I pray they would be as we seek to be obedient to your great commission. Help us to that end, we ask, in the name and through the mighty blood of our Lord Jesus. Amen. You are